You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord It has been a Christian tradition for almost 2,000 years now. I mean, we're probably 8 to 10 years short of 2,000 years uh, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on the Sunday after the Jewish Passover. And that is, uh, of course, today. The resurrection of Jesus is the event that is most at the very core of our faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 16 and 17, the apostle Paul writes to the church that if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. To the Apostle Paul, and, and he, was, he was an absolute unbeliever at first. To him, the very heart of our faith in Jesus is this one historical event. That God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus Christ died and God raised him from the dead. Which then means that God can raise all the dead. If he can raise one, he can raise all. He knows how to do this. He's demonstrated that through Jesus. And because he has promised to do exactly that, to raise all the dead, the resurrection of Jesus confirms our faith in both God's ability and God's dependability to raise all who trust in Jesus as he is promised. Now, like I said, Paul was a huge skeptic at first. He was an unbeliever. In the earliest years of the Christian faith, he wielded all the power of the Jewish authorities to persecute, intimidate, and shut down the church until the resurrected Jesus personally appeared to him and spoke to him and redirected his life. And then Paul believed. I bet he was surprised, right? That event totally changed his life. And not just his life, but his hope, his purpose, his calling from God, and his joy. He was never the same man again. He was better and fully devoted to God through Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus does the same for us today. It turns us. It turns our lives around. It reshapes and redirects our lives. It certainly did that for the very first followers of Jesus who found out he was alive from the dead. They had watched him die. They were stunned, broken, afraid, doubtful. But when they witnessed Jesus alive from the dead, all of that turned. Peter and John, Mary Magdalene, all the disciples, even Thomas, Jesus died on a Friday afternoon around 3 o'clock on the day of the Passover. He was buried that day before sundown. On Saturday, the Sabbath day, when all the Jews rested, Jesus' body rested in the tomb. But first thing Sunday morning, everything changed. By the way, this is why Christians worship on Sundays. It's the day Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, we can worship every day, 
Obviously, there's nothing wrong with worshiping God on any day. But to us, Sundays are special. They're sacred because that's the day Jesus was raised. And as we'll see in our reading today, twice he appeared to his disciples uh, on Sundays, that resurrection day and the following week also. Sunday's special to us. Let's share together the story of the resurrection of Jesus as told by the Apostle John. Let's begin our reading in John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Mary Magdalene went to Jesus' tomb first thing that Sunday morning, the first day of the week. But the tomb was open and his body was gone. She didn't know what had happened. Naturally, she assumed someone had moved the body. Maybe the Roman or Jewish authorities had done it. Maybe the men who had hurriedly laid his body uh, to rest there in that tomb on Friday, maybe they'd found another place for it. She ran and got Peter and one other disciple whom John calls the one Jesus loved. We think John's referring to himself. We think he's calling himself the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, just because he doesn't want to give his own name. Or maybe he and Jesus had a special bond, were best friends or something. We, We just, we don't know exactly. But he does want us to know that that disciple beat Peter to the tomb. They both were running, but the other one got there first. I was faster than Peter. (laughs) They looked inside, but Jesus' body wasn't there. John doesn't say what Peter thought about this, but John says that he himself, this other disciple, saw and believed. Now, Jesus had told his followers that he would be crucified and then raised from the dead on the third day. But they hadn't understood. But now, John begins to put the pieces together a little bit. He begins to believe. Yet even then, he admits that he and Peter did not yet understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They wouldn't understand that until later. So imagine how they felt. Devastated over Jesus' death. Now stunned over Mary's report that his tomb was empty. Then confused. I mean, why would anybody move the body but leave the burial clothes in the tomb? That doesn't make any sense. But all of that turned as they began to realize what had happened. John began to believe, and Peter would later. Now, what about Mary Magdalene? First person there to see the empty tomb. Luke chapter 8 
says she had traveled with Jesus and helped support him out of her own income. So we think that she had been a part of his ministry for two, maybe three years. Now with his death and then the disappearance of his body, she is just broken. She knew him well. She loved him well, was a faithful follower. Now she stands outside his tomb, weeping. Let's see what happens with Mary. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Mary Magdalene. Weeping at Jesus' tomb. Is a woman totally overwhelmed. Some of you have been through such difficult times in your lives. That you know exactly how she felt at that moment. She's so overwhelmed that I get the impression she's not quite able to process what's going on around her, these unexpected things. Two angels dressed in white are sitting in Jesus' tomb now. They weren't there when Peter and John came and looked, but they're there now, where his body had been. And she doesn't even question why there are people in the tomb now. Apparently, these two angels looked just like regular people, but dressed in white. And when she suddenly sees Jesus, maybe she doesn't look directly at him. You know, maybe, or maybe her vision is blurred with tears. But for some reason, she thinks he must be the gardener. And she asks him to tell her where Jesus' body was taken, if he's the one who moved it. You know, I, I can't wait to meet Jesus face to face and just bow before him and, and worship him. And marvel at him in person. I bet he has a wonderful and gentle sense of humor. Because I think he comes out here. Instead of appearing and proclaiming to Mary, it is I. Which, you know, would probably shock her a little too much. He takes an indirect, almost playful approach with, with Mary. Maybe so he doesn't shock her too badly. So he says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? You can kind of see him hiding the grin, you know. Who are you looking for? Of course, he knows she's looking for him. And then when she explains, he simply says, Mary. And then she gets it. And the moment she recognizes his voice, she turns toward him, probably sees him directly for the first time, and cries out, Rabboni, teacher. 
And as John's surprise turned to belief, Mary's overwhelming grief is turned to joy. Soon, Jesus sends her back to the disciples with the message that she saw him alive. No more weeping. Now there's only joy. Jesus' next appearance comes that evening, Sunday night, first day of the week still. Verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The disciples were together, John says. Of course, he would have been one of the disciples there with them. And the doors were locked. They were very afraid. He says they were there with the doors locked because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Why would they be afraid of them? Well, because those Jewish leaders had recently had Jesus arrested and executed. They might come looking for his disciples too. But it wasn't the Jewish leaders who found the disciples that night. Jesus suddenly appeared. John says the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them. Well, that's, that's a little, little vague as to how he got in the room. When Luke tells the same story in Luke chapter 24, it's clear that Jesus suddenly appeared in the room with them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he showed them his hands and sighed where the nails had been driven, where that spear had been thrust into him after he died. Luke says he showed them his feet too, more nail scars. And these disciples who had been afraid and hiding were now overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They saw Jesus and their fear turned to joy. Joy that Jesus predicted in chapter 16, no one would ever take away. We live in this awkward in-between time as we put our faith in Jesus. In our own lives, we live on the cross side of the, of the great resurrection day that we're waiting for. That time when death, we live in the time when death appears to have its way with us. And we can't see Sunday morning yet. And we weep like Mary and we're afraid like the disciples. Yet by faith, we see to the other side of the cross. To the great resurrection day that is coming. Because we know it came for Jesus. He experienced death in all its terrible power. He submitted to it for a little while. And then he rose again by the power of God. Already we see the great resurrection coming. But it's not here yet. Not quite. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe the next day. Maybe next year. Whenever the Lord decides. And so in the meantime, we're caught in this in-between period living by faith in the resurrection of Jesus, 
yearning for that great day to come. On that day, all our griefs and all our fears will turn to joy. The pain, the difficulty, the worry, the anxiety that we struggle through now will turn to joy. If the dead are not raised, if Jesus was not raised, then as Paul said, our hope in Christ is worthless. But because God raised Jesus back to life, we have courage to press on through every grief, every fear, every setback, every time death seems to have its way. Because we know that our God raises the dead. And that fact turns our lives so that we are always centered not on fear and despair, but on Jesus and the power of his resurrection so that we live for God until the great resurrection day that Jesus promised. The Apostle Paul, first a skeptic, then a powerful witness of the resurrected Jesus, writes in Philippians uh, chapter 3, that he considers every claim to status in his life as garbage. Just garbage. And all he wants now is Christ. He says in Philippians 3 verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection. And this is our attitude as well. We want nothing more than Christ, whom God raised from the dead. If God really did raise Jesus from the dead, and I'm personally convinced he did, then that is the most important event in human history. And our lives need to be absolutely wrapped around our pursuit of knowing Christ, knowing the power of his resurrection in our lives today, participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, basically living for Jesus in everything we are and everything we do so that somehow by God's grace, we too may share in the resurrection of the dead. Nothing else matters in life like that matters. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Jesus' disciples were overjoyed, John says, when they saw him alive again. That joy at being with him again soon matured into a joyful confidence in God that lasted them the rest of their lives so that many of them willingly gave up their lives for Jesus and for their claim that they had seen him, heard him, touched him alive from the dead. I mean, if you have seen God Raise your Lord from the dead, and your Lord has promised God will do the same for you. What is there to be afraid of in life? What persecution will stop you from sharing what you have seen and witnessed? One of the disciples, though, had not been there that first Sunday night when Jesus appeared to the others. And he was not the type to believe the unbelievable just because he heard it from a friend or, you know, read it online. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, 
one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, that's his uh, Jewish name. In, in Greek, his name is Didymus. Both those words mean twin, so he may have had a twin brother or sister. He basically tells the other disciples, it's going to take a lot to convince me that Jesus is alive again. It's got to be more than just your word. He will need to see the nail marks, touch them, put his hand into Jesus' side. We don't know whether he ever really did touch the scars. We don't know. A week later, Jesus appeared to him and the other disciples. Again, the doors were locked, but that was no obstacle for Jesus. Again, Jesus says, peace be with you. The resurrected Jesus brings his people peace. And he invites Thomas to do exactly what Thomas had said he needed. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Isn't it amazing how God knows what we need in order to be convinced that Jesus was raised from the dead and he provides that for us when we ask him to? Did Thomas actually touch him? We don't know. John doesn't say. But seeing was believing. Seeing Jesus, hearing his voice. Maybe he eventually touched the scars. Maybe he did at that moment. We just don't know. But we do know that at that moment, all of Thomas's doubts flew away. And he said, my Lord and my God. His doubt turned to absolute belief. Jesus blesses those who see and believe. But even more, those like us who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I don't, I don't mean by that that we don't have strong reasons to believe, that we don't have evidence behind our faith. We absolutely do. Faith does not, is no good if it has no evidence behind it. But I just mean that we haven't literally seen Jesus with our own eyes yet. Our faith has to rest on the testimony of those who did see him and then other evidences that uh, correlate with that testimony. Those who, whose confusion and grief and fear and doubt turned to wonder and joy when they saw Jesus alive again. They became our witnesses. John has one more thing to say about the resurrection of Jesus, but also about the, all the miracles that he's told us about in his book that we've been studying uh, these last few months. Let's look at verses 30 and 31. We'll finish with this text. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. All these signs 
John has told us about throughout his book, from Jesus turning the water to wine all the way to his resurrection from the dead, especially the resurrection. All this John has told us so that we may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Because if we believe in him, and if his resurrection becomes the focal point around which our entire lives turn, around which they are centered, then by believing we may have life in his name. Life with God our creator today, life infused with his presence, and eternal life when Jesus comes again and God raises the dead. In the book of John, Jesus often claims that he is the son of God, and he keeps calling God his father. It turns out his claim was true. He claimed to be God's son, and God himself raised his son from the dead to prove it was true. And if you and I put our faith in Jesus and consider everything else people crave in this life to be garbage compared to knowing him, then God will raise us too. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is why John tells us about Jesus and about his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus turns our lives around. Confusion, grief, fear, doubt, we may still struggle with them, but they're all ultimately overwhelmed by the surpassing joy of knowing our Creator through Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. May God bless you in the name of Jesus, His Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Our God and the God of Jesus, our Lord, your Son, we bow before you today and praise you <clears throat> for the resurrection of Jesus and for the power that you put on display that day, power that changed the world, power that, that grew the church from nothing to, to uh, vast and, and, and spread across the globe and present even here in this room today. Lord God, we honor you and we thank you. Our Father, we pray that you would always put the resurrection of Jesus at the front of our minds, at the leading edge of our hearts, that we, would, that we would seek and desire more than anything else to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, that by believing in him, we may find life in him from you. Dear God, bless us here today. Those of us gathered in this room and in this building, those of us who are, are joining in online, bless us, dear God, with clear insight and understanding about the resurrection of Jesus. Help us to build our lives around the truth of his rising and the power uh, that works in our lives today, the same power that raised him from the dead. Dear God, go with us this week. Help us to live as people who are uh, joined with Jesus in his death and burial 
and resurrection, that we may walk with you and enjoy life with you today and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.